36-year-old ultramarathon runner Camille Heron is competing in her first big 24-hour race, the Desert Solstice. After about 18 hours of non-stop running, she finally drops her pace down to a walk. It's 2am in the desert and the temperature has plummeted. It was like my body went into this rigor mortis state. Mm. So it was like I died a death out there. (laughs) There was still six hours to go till the finish line. She was sleep deprived and her legs were quitting on her. Everybody else started to fall apart, you know, and, and once that competition was gone, for me, I felt like I didn't have as much motivation and my legs just felt like lead weights. I had to be like, okay, brain, tell my legs to move, to keep moving. I'm Rob Pope, and this is How To Be Superhuman. In this episode, I'm talking to Camille Heron, a legend of ultramarathon running. When I say ultra, I mean ultra. It means beyond, and in running terms, it means beyond the marathon, beyond 26.2 miles. But we all know it can mean a lot more than that. Could be beyond the 100 miles, into the beyond, or beyond your limits. But Camille doesn't really seem to have any. She's a world record holder for 50 miles, 12 hours, 100 miles, and 24 hours. There seems to be no distance she can't conquer. But Camille is equally well known for her sheer style as much as her numbers. She runs with her hair down. She likes to have a beer and a taco during ultras. Why not? I had the honour of sharing a stage at the National Running Show with Camille, and I felt the power of her aura. She's also bloody nice and recorded a great motivational video for my baby girl that I'm sure will come in useful one day. Hi B, this is Camille Heron. I just wanted to send some magic your way and inspire you. Camille Heron grew up in Oklahoma, a great state for running. Well, road running anyway. It's big and flat. At 12 years old, Camille went for her first track practice and there was no looking back. Literally from the first day, I could just run and run and run. And I'm a string bean to begin with, so I I pretty much look like a distance runner. And I I knew when I went out for cross country in the eighth grade and all the other girls looked like me, I knew I'd found my sport, so. Camille got into running in a big way. Not only did she diligently do her training, but as a self-professed geek, Camille also did her research. My first running book was Lore of Running, uh, which talks all about the Comrades Marathon. And so, oh, <laughs> you got it on the table right there. <laughs> That's a great book right there. Yeah, it's awesome. I did not get this book deliberately for the interview. I can promise you I've had it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the Lore of Running. It's been referred to as the Bible of Running. The Gospel, according to Tim Noakes, and it's chock full of tales of running exploits and secrets of the very best. My other half got me a copy of it a few years ago, and you only have to thumb through the pages to get inspired, and that's pretty much what happened to Camille. 
It's a great book. Yeah. So I, I, my, my first running heroes, uh, surprisingly, were ultra runners. Uh, it was hard for me to imagine, you know, running that far. Like, what do they eat? You know, how do they keep running? Things were going pretty smoothly for Camille. But then... Report to the nearest tornado shelter. A tragedy hit the family. Oklahoma is famous for tornadoes. When she was 17, her area was put on alert for a massive twister. Camille was at home when she heard the news. Her dad told the family they had 15 minutes to pack their most prized possessions into the car. I had a crate under my bed with my books and my favorite things, and in that crate was my book, Lore of Running. She grabbed that crate and her running shoes and got shoveled into the car. With Lore of Running in her lap, Camille was driven to her grandparents' house, out of the danger zone. We were able to dodge a tornado and then it hit my area, hit my home. The family home and all the belongings were completely destroyed. But they had survived. I just felt so grateful for my life and that I had this this running ability. <laughs> and uh, and I, I used to not run on Sundays. I used to take Sunday used to be my day off. And I started running long on Sundays as a way to celebrate my life and my talents that I was born with. In some ways, surviving the tornado was Camille's inspiration for running longer. What was long at that point? About 20 to 30 miles per week. And on Sundays for my long runs, I would go like maybe about six miles. Not far at all for someone who would later become one of the world's most iconic ultramarathon runners. It's, it's amazing what I can do now. And, you know, I came from a, a pretty, you know, pretty modest background in terms of training. When Camille got into the University of Tulsa, in part because of her athletic ability, she was hoping this would mean some serious training. College, you know, so this, that's where basically a lot of the big names in sport get noticed first. And it's certainly a huge way forward in the life of American track stars. Like, when did you <laughs> realise that you could do this professionally? Yeah, well, I, I'm 39 now and uh, I seem to be aging like a fine wine. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've gotten better with age and uh, I don't think I really knew I was going to be this good until I was in my mid-30s. Mid-30s. From everything we know about athletes, that seems old. But Camille didn't have the traditional American athlete's trajectory. After getting repeated stress fractures in her legs at university, she stopped training and started studying and playing French horn for the state band. That's right, Camille is also a secret musician. She chose the right instrument because the French horn is probably great for training lung capacity and that would come in handy later. Music was also how she met the person who would get her back into running seriously. I went to this jazz festival with my mom and I was just hanging out over there and uh, saw Connor out of the corner of my eye and I was like, who is that guy? Uh, he came out over to me and, and was like, well, you look like a runner. And uh, I kind of laughed and that was his pickup line was, you look like a runner. <laughs> I really hope your reply when he asked if you're a runner was just like, no, I'm a French horn player. And then you got on stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Hollywood version of it. <laughs> 2.0 
two runners at a jazz festival. Of course they hit the right note and a great rhythm. Soon he moved into Camille's grandpa's house. Right then, Connor was the more successful, recognised runner. He was a real college star. A couple of years after college, in 2004, they both headed to Boulder, Colorado, for Connor's training. But that's when they realised that they'd got it all the wrong way around. And Connor and I went out for a run one day and I kept going after he had gotten back from his run. So I was still out there running. And he, I, once I got back, he was like, well, how much are you running? And I was just a recreational runner. Like I didn't train or race or anything. And I was running about 70 miles per week. That's quite a bit, you know, for somebody that's just running for fun. Um, and so that was really the turning point where he was like, okay, you just like to run. Like, no, I'd get out and running on the trails and just fell in love with it. So, yeah, I know a fellow who just felt like running. <laughs> <laughs> How's my Alabama accent? <laughs> if any of you are a fan of mid 90s Tom Hanks movies, you know, like Forrest Gump, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. But less about me. Connor decided that instead of focusing on his running career, he needed to start coaching Camille. Once Connor started coaching me, I just quickly got really, really good. I think I ran my first 10K was in about 36 minutes. And it seemed like the longer I went, the less my time dropped off. You know, I went from a 19 minute 5K to running a 36 minute 10K. So it's almost like I got faster the longer I went. And once I got over hundred miles per week, it was like I started to come alive. Like I just, I'm born for it. It was like the more I ran, the more I felt like myself. She started hitting 120, 130. 140 miles a week. Now, some high-class recreational runners hit 50 to 80 miles by the time Sunday comes around. Pros will go from there to 120 if they're feeling frisky and are particularly injury-resistant. Going beyond, especially with a healthy amount of speed work, is serious mileage. I had no limits. I would just get out running and be like, well, I'm enjoying this. I think I'll stay out here for a, a bit longer. A bit longer. Well, I hope that some of you listening will have experienced that yourself. And I imagine many more of you will think, nah, not for me. Well, I, I can't tell you that state does exist. But for Camille, I dread to think what a bit longer meant. She came third American in the New York City Marathon, and that is a tough course, after only two weeks' recovery from a previous one. The race coordinator was understandably bowled over. He's like, hey, you had to think about doing ultra running. Then, you know, the seed was planted. Hey, why don't you try ultra running? That was kind of how it started. <laughs> ultra. Beyond. Beyond the marathon distance of 26.2 miles, 42 kilometres. So you'd automatically think that was harder, right? Well, perhaps. But ultra running is a completely different ball game, requiring a different mindset and often a different running style. Camille's first 100 kilometer race 
was a game changer. It was this turning point of, I felt like Billy Elliot doing ballet for the first time. It was this amazing feeling. It felt like the longer I went, the better I felt. And so during the race, I mean, I'm smiling the whole time and I'm, I'm you know, running pretty fast. And it was kind of like, well, a star is born. I felt like I had found what I was supposed to do. And uh, it was also awful. It was very hard. <laughs> and, I, and I laugh because I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to push my limits. Finally, I had done something that was just awful and hard, and it felt so good. It felt like I had never felt like I'd pushed myself like that in a marathon. And I just had to go longer to find out that this is hard, and I love it. <laughs> I love it, so. Doesn't really sound great, does it? But to quote one of Camille's contemporaries, the equally legendary Jasmine Paris, there's such a thing as type 2 fun. When something is so grim, it somehow becomes fun. After that 100k, there was no looking back. Camille started to realise something about the unique way her body worked. It was so weird because, like, for me to go at marathon pace, it really does feel like a sprint. Like, I feel like I'm going all out. And for me to go just a little bit slower than that for a 100K pace, I felt smooth as butter. It was like my mechanics were more wired for ultra running, you know, going a little bit slower than they were for the marathon. I just think it's the way I run. I think it's my gait and my mindset and my muscles. And uh, I'm just, you know, it's just really strange, you know. It was strange for me to do ultra running and to find out, like, whoa, I'm racing up with the men. I'm catching the men. Like, what's going on here? In 2018... Camille decided to take on her biggest challenge. The ultra of ultra marathons is the 24-hour race. This particular one was called the Desert Solstice. It takes place on a track, a sun-baked oval in Phoenix, America's hottest city. The palm trees are taller than the buildings and the mercury rises higher still most of the time. But luckily, this race takes place in December. But that brings its own challenge, the nighttime desert chill. Now, a race around an athletics track doesn't sound the hardest, really. But I want you to focus not on the terrain, but the duration. 24 hours. It's hard enough to stay awake for that length of time. Never mind stay vertical. And never mind staying fast. Camille was considered a newbie to the 24-hour grind, despite her previous credentials, and people didn't expect much of her. There was a Facebook group full of the old-timers, trying to predict how everyone would do. All these people, veteran 24-hour runners, multi-day runners, they had voted me to finish like fifth to finish like fifth place. And if you wanna, if you wanna light a fire under me, uh, <laughs> you know, start, start doubting me. You know, I, I'm like Rocky mode going into this race because there's all these stars there. My dad taught me how to be a good free throw shooter because free throws win championships. 
So in my mind, I'm Rocky Balboa going into this race and I'm ready to throw 12 rounds of punches with these people. I could see Camille starting to get riled up, even talking about being underestimated like that. I've always had the mindset when I'm on the starting line that I'm like a, a boxer in the ring, in the corner, doing the shakedown. So a lot of times when you watch videos of me, I'm, I'm dancing on the starting line. That's like my mindset to flip the switch. Every race, Camille seems to find one song that becomes a mantra. And just before the desert solstice, it seems like Camille was going through a bit of a romantic crooner phase. My favorite song was Frank Sinatra's Come Fly With Me. <laughs> and so I'm thinking about that. In, the in fact, I actually started singing it out loud. I was like, come fly with me, come fly, let's fly away. I've usually got music in my ears when I go for long runs too. So whether I'm high on a desert plane or feeling that baby I was born to run. That's your lot, trust me, you ain't getting any more than that. I also had the advantage when I was running across America of some incredible landscapes and they really helped. And I can't imagine what it must be like to run for 24 hours on a 400 metre track. It's mind boggling because, you know, 24 hours on a track, mm. you know, 400 meter track. And it's just mental. It's super mental. It feels like death by a thousand paper cuts. Camille decided to mentally break the race up into 30 minute chunks. So every half hour, she would take a sports gel and she got through 44 of them throughout the race. And every four hours, she would go around a cone and they get to run around the track in a different direction, which was some light relief, I suppose. It's very monotonous, but it's also a very social thing where, uh, you know, you've got 35 runners on the track and everybody's trying to push their limits and, you know, go for records and, you know, making U.S. teams and all that. So um, it's a pretty social thing. And I'm definitely a competitor, but at the same time, like I'm cheering people on to the point where I started to lose my voice. That may have also been all that Frank Sinatra she was belting out. By the 100 mile mark, she's starting to outpace some serious ultramarathon big dogs. Zach Bitter, world 100 mile record holder. Courtney Dalwater, former women's 24 hour world record holder. I was like, shouldn't I be tired? Shouldn't I be tired by now? I'm not feeling tired, like I feel pretty good. And so once I caught Zach, I think he went about 10 more miles and then he started walking and um, just kind of kind of like gave up. But Camille was very much still going. Despite being somewhat hungry. I hit about 135 miles or so, which is about two o'clock in the morning. I was like wanting a taco. <laughs> the famous taco. <laughs> I was 
wanting a taco. Taco Bell was like the only place that was open around that time. So I had a crew of like three people and one of them went and drove to Taco Bell and got me two tacos. And I think I only ate one of them. And um, my husband had a six pack of beer. So So 2 a.m. and you're now getting on the late night food, but you're only just cracking the beers (laughs) open at 2 (laughs) a.m. That's what I love about Camille. She's always trying to have fun, even when she's doing something most people would consider unholy torture. She'd run pretty much non-stop till that point, 135 miles. But the taco and beer justified her slowing down, so she started walking a couple of laps, changed her shoes. As she dropped the pace, she started to get really cold because it was the middle of the night, we're in the desert, and the temperature goes through the floor. It was like my body went into this rigor mortis state. So Mm. it was like I died a death out there. (laughs) Like I was like, felt like I was dead. And my legs just felt like lead weights. I had to be like, okay, brain, tell my legs to move, to keep moving. That's hard because she's really sleep deprived. She's been running for 18 hours. I guess the hardest thing for me was when everybody else started to to fall apart. And once that competition was gone, for me, I felt like I didn't have as much motivation. I was hoping that it came down to, you know, the last like five hours or so, and we're just, you know, throwing punches with each other. But it ended up being, I was the only person still out there. But Camille did still have one last motivation. She might not be running against the other runners now, but she was fixated on the clock. She had to finish the race. You know, I'm I'm a pretty fast runner and I'm running like the slowest miles in my life. And I just had to just stay cool as a cucumber through all that and just fixate on those 220 laps to get the world record. So six hours later, after 24 hours of running, that's one whole day and one whole night, Camille finished those laps, achieving a world record. She ran 162.9 miles in those 24 hours. But she also passed the 100-mile mark in a world record time of 13 hours 25. That means she had more left in the tank. What an achievement of sheer persistence. For me, Camille's up there with the greats of that beloved book of ours, Lore of Running. I can't wait to read the chapter about her in the future. It literally felt like my legs were like rocks. After I finished that race, I was so stiff that it was like a board. She's just finished a 24 hour race. She's dehydrated, sleep deprived, and probably craving another taco. One year later, Camille broke her own 24 hour record. This time, at the World Championships in France. Which means she won that, by the way. And there, she had another tune to keep her going. Can you keep up? 
baby boy made me lose my breath. Hear the noise made me lose my breath. So I'm thinking about this during the race. It was like, it was like me out there taunting the boys that I was gonna beat them. And so that was like my mind state. And beat them she did, running 270.116 kilometers in a span of, you guessed it, 24 hours. I can't wait to see what Camille does next. In fact, I can't even imagine what she's going to do next. But just talking to her has left me with a huge smile on my face. Please send us your own superhuman tales, because we want to hear what you guys have been up to. Please remember, follow the podcast, rate it, and leave a great review, because it helps other people discover the show. We really appreciate it when you share the love with us. Finally, if you want more from the series, like articles or pictures, just head to redbull.com slash superhuman. Next time on How To Be Superhuman, it's a 21-year-old teacher from Yorkshire who rode across the Atlantic Ocean. And it's just thunder, absolute thunder coming towards your boat. You're praying at that point, you're thinking, is this a nightmare? Like, please say that I'm gonna wake up and I'm not moving at all and I'm absolutely fine. And this noise just completely smothered Argo, my boat. 